Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of pretty little liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Here we are. Welcome to the dollhouse. Uh, the darkest and most amazing twist the show ever came up with. And also really the biggest letdown when it was eventually treated as inconsequential. Uh, in a related note, I feel like the show has never been as interested in gendering A as they suddenly are here. Uh, yes, we have had like one previous moment of Hannah saying him, her, it, bitch in an episode. But I think we can take that in isolation differently than the territory we're entering here where the show is just being especially gross about it, as I think they definitely did know where they were going as of this point, and that's why they're throwing this all in as their attempt at misdirection. Yes, I, I regretfully, I think you are correct. Um, this is, I have not, I had not seen this episode uh, again since the whole Charlotte reveal. And the first time I watched it, I remember thinking like, wow, this is one of the most amazing episodes this series has ever pulled off. What a cool twist. What a great idea. What a like way to, you know, heighten the stakes just when it seemed like they were maybe running out of ideas. And watching it now, the transphobia is just like a cloud that engulfs this entire episode. Um, this is really like, I think it's an impressively dark and creepy episode, but it is just made exponentially, monumentally worse by the deeply transphobic language and attitudes, as well as I would say like an A whose abilities and intelligence seem to sort of change at the whims of the writing, like yeah. an A who is smart enough to pull off this whole dollhouse and yet not smart enough to not be tricked by the liars into, you know, their attempt to to basically destroy said dollhouse. Um, I do think the identity work is fascinating. I also just want to say the language of this episode is really challenging. And I think in taking our notes, we both did our best to avoid um, well, to to avoid the use of dead names, to avoid the use of um, incorrect pronouns. We are going to do our very best. This episode is a minefield to talk about. If we mess up, we deeply apologize. It is, we're really trying to be thoughtful here. Uh, and this is just a really difficult episode to talk about in a script that is practically designed for one to, you know, uh, whether intentionally or not, say something inappropriate. Yes, yes, it's it's true. If you, like, swing a cat around, you're going to hit some transphobia in this episode. Also, don't swing a cat around. That's probably not fun for the cat. Yeah. Um, cats don't like that. <laughs> but... Um, before we get into it, let's let's talk Dollhouse. I know we were both fans of this particular plot point, or were at the point when it originally came along. I think this is actually a fascinating time to revisit it, given the continuing like legislative efforts to control women taking place in Texas and, and elsewhere right now. Because uh, I think that's what the idea of the Dollhouse is. It's this looming entity that takes away your free will and then gives it back to you in increments, like it's doing you a fucking favor, like that rewards you mm -hmm. for compliance, that likes women to be ornamental and part of a stage set rather than individual people. 
Um, I think it's the most explicit metaphor for existing within the misogynistic and patriarchal system that we've gotten from the show to date. But unfortunately, they muddle this message in 20 odd feet of transphobic garbage trash. Could not agree more. I, I I think that the idea of the constant surveillance and the liars being uh, sort of forced to perform this version of femininity that is not what they want to be doing. Totally fascinating. Totally cool idea. The fact that a trans character is the one enforcing all of this on them. Deeply, deeply fucked up. Deeply problematic. And, and really playing into so many like harmful tropes about uh, trans women's, tra- you know, this idea that trans women are somehow, uh, you know, predatory towards cis women or are men in disguise. I feel like this episode is just playing into all of that. Um, but the idea of the dollhouse itself, especially if A had been, you know, a cis hat white man, uh, straight white man, um, I think it's so fascinating. And I really think that also this idea of taking the liars' bedrooms where they feel safe, where they sleep, where they, you know, can can get some rest and, and from this whole situation that they've been trapped in from all of their traumas and turning those into these hellscapes and into this sort of uncanny valley of like, it looks like your house, but it's just different enough to be deeply unsettling. One of my favorite details of the dollhouse is the picture frames that don't have any pictures in them. Like it, that is so like the attention to detail in this episode is really remarkable in a lot of ways, especially for a show that we know often does not pay attention to little details. Um, And just like, the way that the liars' trauma is and identities are sort of both explored and exploited in this whole dollhouse arc is really fascinating. It's a really fascinating choice. and it's it's daring in terms of uh, the just putting the liars through something like this, something this boldly traumatic. The picture frames kill me every time because later in the episode it's a really big deal that we see in in like a's special room that they have baby pictures and they have family movies and it's like they're taking away from the liars they're taking the liars away from their families which is messed up as some of the liars families are is the one thing that charlotte was denied and so it's like it's like so symbolic that like Charlotte is putting them in rooms that have like these empty picture frames that just show like people from the store. Whereas like in Charlotte's special room, there's like a mannequin family and then like actual pictures of her childhood and stuff. And it's just like, it's rough. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about. It is heartbreaking. And it's interesting, like this episode And this is where, like, I do think you're right that they knew about the trans twist at this point, because this episode is really sort of talking out of both sides of its mouth. We have all of, like, we have A's most horrific gambit yet, right? And we have lines like, A has a soul, and, you know, going into the vault and seeing the A home videos and... Uh, Spencer, I don't think she has that line in this episode, but I think in the next episode she'll have a line about like, I, 
I think like when she's in the room with A, she's like, I think I knew this person. Um, and so it's it's tough because it's like they're both trying to humanize this character and having this character do something so horrific. And it, it just doesn't it doesn't work because they're not doing enough. They're not doing the work properly, I think, on either side of that equation. Yeah, I mean, I think they knew where it was going just because if if we went back over all the episodes that we've done of of this show that we have recapped, they only ever use a gender for A when they have a specific suspect that they're that they're looking yes. at. And here in this episode, we have like I feel like 10 to 15 different references where they're misgendering A as a result of this plot line. So I, I definitely think that that is not a coincidence. Right. I also think that the use of the dead name points to the fact that they clearly, like, they had this plan in mind of it has to be a character that we know, and, oh, this is the character that makes the most sense in the minds of the writers. Yeah, I, I do think that um, as we go along, the next half season is not going to age well. This particular episode didn't age well. And we were talking a little bit. I was saying, like, when did this episode air? Was it, like, 10 years ago? No, this episode aired in 2015. And just to, like, it's true that we are not living now in the same world that we were living in in 2015. Like, you know, hopefully in some ways the moral arc of the universe is bending towards justice, or at least our social consciousness is. Um, But when you look at 2015, we were saying that, like, Transparent debuted in 2014. Uh, that was out there. Uh, gay marriage, love wins. That was the summer of 2015. Obama was president. Laverne Cox has already schooled Katie Couric about what questions are not appropriate, um, you know, to ask a trans celebrity. Certainly, things that you would uh, not be asking a cisgender celebrity about the state of their genitals, etc. So yeah, it, it was a different world, but there were definitely there were definitely a lot of areas uh, that were progressing much faster than this show, which is like basically stuck in the 1950s for this plot line. Totally, totally. I think what's also interesting, we were we were doing a little bit of like <laughs> 2015 going back in the time capsule before we started recording. Um, I feel like 2015 is sort of the last gasp of really high profile. Uh, uh, movies and television where cis men are playing trans women because 2015 is the year um, that the Danish girl came out and um, in 20 so for the next year's Oscars Eddie Redmayne was nominated for that performance uh, as well as in the next year's uh, Emmy Awards Jeffrey Tambor won uh, for Transparent uh, this was before of course we we knew what else was going on with Jeffrey Tambor and uh, and so it's, 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 this is that I don't in any way say that to defend this plot line. It's, it's actually to me indicative of like the progress was starting in other parts of media. Um, not as, not as fast as it should have, but it was starting more awareness was growing. And uh, it's just really, really unfortunate that this plot line plays out the way that it does. 100%. I also just, before we get into it, I also just want to say, I think another weird thing about this episode structurally is that 
there are two shows happening in this episode. There is the Hastings legal procedural with, you know, special guest appearances by <laughs> Caleb Rivers, Hacker, and Toby Cavanaugh, teen police officer. Uh, and then there is just the absolutely batshit liars dollhouse situation. And those two things, like, never the twain shall meet. These are two different shows happening in one episode. And, you know, it is kind of, there is a way in which, as much as it's always annoying when we cut back to the boys, where it's like, the dollhouse stuff is so tough, that there is almost a catharsis of like, oh, good, Prez was just being an idiot and punching a wall again, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. It is just like a little bit of relief. It's, It's unintentional comic relief, I think. Yes, yes. Oh, so we open on a don't think too hard about it scene of the liars (laughs) in a paddy wagon. Emily, Aria and Spencer are in orange jumpsuits, which might make you think they've already been to jail. And Hannah is with them and she was not in the courtroom. So, again, (laughs) you would think that they had all been in jail together and now are being taken somewhere else. Another jail, perhaps, or maybe they were just out for an airing. Maybe they just pile you into the paddy wagon and drive you around sometimes at the minimum security prison. It's difficult to say. But then it seems like the liars have not yet been to jail because Emily is asking Hannah what it's like on the inside. Allie is not with them because the warden got a tip that the five of them are up to something big. And Allison is presumed to be the ringleader. So the five of them are up to something big, but you're still going to have four of them in this. Okay, don't think about it too hard. I did say that up front. Um, Hannah says once they are inside, the four of them will probably be split up as well. To which I say, are there no other prisons in Pennsylvania? (laughs) My goodness. Anyway, the liars have this really beautiful moment of telling each other that no matter what prison tries to take away from them, they'll always have each other. They all love one another, and it's really sweet. They're, like, holding hands around the full-body chains and cuffs that they're locked into. Uh, And that's, like, that's a really lovely moment that they get together because they are going to go to a place that is so much worse than they were even expecting. Uh, Suddenly, there's a crash, a bang. There's been an accident in Arya's pants. (laughs) So, Arya. And then the black hoodie appears, opening the door of the prison transport, They shoot a gas canister into the back of the van. The liars are being taken. Bum, bum, bum. It is hilarious to me how this whole season of Allison and the trial and all of that, it has culminated in like, they are the criminal masterminds who are going to outsmart every person in Rosewood law enforcement. Like, The way that Hannah says with an entirely straight face, they think we're planning something big is just so funny. It's like, what do they think these teenage girls are planning? A a laundry heist? (laughs) (laughs) Like, do they think that they're all secretly Al Capone in disguise? Like, what is the deal? I don't know. It is very, it is very, very silly. Also very silly is Toby over at the Hastings house, filling them in on what happened. Apparently, the deputies who were in charge of the liars were injected with a drug that Peter Hastings a little too quickly is like, oh, right, the date rape drug? Huh? <laughs> um, 
The deputies have no memory of the incident. Uh, Veronica declares that the incident was an abduction. And Peter, he has a few funny line deliveries in this episode. And the way he says, but who would want to take the girls? Like, for some reason, that just really cracked me up. Um, who would or who could, they wonder. Veronica is thinking Mona. Peter is thinking Allison. At this point, I just wrote in all caps in my notes, why does no one think a man could have done this? Uh, apparently, nobody can know about this except for the Hastings, because for some reason, like, Toby has basically deputized them as, like, the, you know, non-cop investigation team that's going to help bring the liars home. Uh, Peter announces that they both know what Allison is capable of. Yeah, this is a weird, weird situation. Like, Toby frames it as good news that Tanner doesn't want the press to know or any of the other families, which is just like, so So they've been kidnapped, but the police are like, well, we're just... We're just going to pretend they're being processed into jail. Like, as far as, like, Pam Fields and Ashley Marin are concerned, like, you know, and the Montgomery's probably don't even know that Ari has been arrested. The Montgomery's are probably just like, oh, that's that's weird. Mike is having to feed himself. Oh. Right, right. Like, nobody's, they just, they're just out somewhere. <laughs> they're, they're in the French farce. They're, like, all coming in and going out of different doors. <sighs> so... Yeah. Uh, this is such a small but cruel moment here. Spencer wakes up and it seems like she is in her bed in her room. And it's like, maybe it was all a bad dream. Maybe she was not ever arrested. Maybe she was not ever taken. Maybe, you know, like, what was the last thing that was real? Who can say? She wakes up. But as she tosses the covers off, she sees that she is in her same orange jumpsuit. The room is a perfect replica of her own, but with just a few deliberate mistakes. We talked about the picture frames that just have people from the store in them. Uh, it is hella creepy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's really really weird. The the other detail, like the welcome home on the whiteboards, is like. That's a real creepy detail. Um, we cut over to Hannah, who is in who is in her own uh, simulation of her room. She is yelling for her mom, and she is unable to get out of a locked door. She has her own home sweet home message written in like curlier, girlier handwriting than the message in uh, Spencer's room, which I found really interesting. Uh, she tries to pick up her phone, like her, her, like the landline phone, but it is not connected to anything. It kills me that Spencer wakes up and does not call for anyone. And Hannah wakes up and is shouting for her mom. Like, and she's like shouting, like it's two things. Like she is like shouting because she wants to be at home. She's scared. She wants her mom. And also she is half terrified that her mom is here too. Right. Like, right. oh my God, Hannah, Hannah calling for her mom is, oh, my heart cannot take it. I want us to pay special attention to Hannah as we're going through this episode, because I think something really interesting is happening with her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we cut to Emily who is looking out the window of her fake room at a darkened street scene 
Uh, she notices a really prominent video camera in the corner. Someone is watching her. Emily, being Emily, yells for Spencer, Aria, and Hannah. Like, yeah. that kills me almost as much as Hannah yelling for her mom. Like, Emily is not yelling for her parents. Emily is not yelling for a partner. Emily is yelling for the other liars because she's afraid and she wants to know where they are. One of the things that's, like... Uh tough about this episode just in terms of like it's something to trace uh the liars i think are really like their characters are written to a t in this episode in a way that they often aren't it's a very in character episode for the liars um because (laughs) what is aria's first thing that she goes to do check the books you gotta check the books Um, actually, before she checks the books, she picks up her own photo frame. Instead of it being blank, there's just, like, the, you know, generic from the store, like, sort of picture-perfect family idea. Um, she goes to check her books. They're all, uh, like, empty little cartons. And then she goes to open a door and is met with a wall of concrete. Yeah, this is a very, like, Susie Clueless scene. Like, it's not 100% clear that Arya realizes she has been kidnapped. Like, Arya might just think that someone stole her books and her closet for a second. (laughs) Why is my closet all filled with concrete? Is this a new dress I forgot I bought? (laughs) My concrete dress? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, But props to Arya, who's had a lot of family drama herself, looking at this fake family in the picture frame. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So Spencer, being Spencer, tries to throw her rocking chair at the window. Uh, She breaks the mirror glass, but it's just a concrete bunker wall behind it. She sits down, stunned and scared. Like, she sits down, but, like, really, she's, like, sort of, like, thrown backwards by the force of what she's done. And she winds up, like, on the floor without a plan. Also, uh, the fact that there's a lot number on this Toby chair... Did he just buy that chair that he allegedly made? Like <laughs> he like assembled it. He didn't yeah. like whittle it from wood. He just like it was like an IKEA chair and he just like followed the complicated instructions but then was really proud. Exactly. Exactly. Um okay, so then so then this is where the loudspeaker comes on, right? Yeah. So the loudspeaker comes on. Uh this is this woman's voice. It sort of sounds like a you know, like the, a voice you might hear like at an airport or something. It's a very like clinical uh, voice telling them, welcome, bienvenidos, vilcomen. Uh, and the, her, Spencer's door creaks open and the voice instructs her to leave her room and follow the lighted pathway. When Spencer goes to the doorway, she sees sort of this underground, like it's like this dark corridor of doors, uh, almost like a a maze of sorts. Uh, And suddenly all of the other liars burst out of their rooms. They quickly determine that they're all more or less physically okay. Spencer quickly identifies that they are in A's dollhouse and they are the dolls. Yes. Oh, so the lighted path that they are following, uh, you know, it's, it's very scary. It's very creepy. It leads them to a new room, which is a replica of the De Laurentiis living room. Inside, someone is playing the piano. A person who is wearing a yellow top and has blonde hair and is wearing a mask of Alison De Laurentiis' face. 
If you look at Hannah's face from the moment they walk in, I think part of her recognizes her OTP even before that mask is off. Or maybe I just want to think that she does. Uh, but the liars creep forward, and Emily, the eternal optimist, asks, <laughs> Allie, is that you? I mean, not that Allison wouldn't wear a mask of a face on her face, but come on, Emily, try harder. The piano player turns and slowly takes off the mask, and it is Mona! The Vander Jesus is risen! <laughs> Hannah looks like it's not an accident this time. <laughs> Some parts of her just got really wet. <laughs> <laughs> Vander Jesus lives! It is Easter Sunday! Uh, yes, so... This is a classic, like, you know, TV cut to commercial break. When we come back. Uh, oh, 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 I was going to. But so Mona says that she's not Mona. She's Allison. Like, they're they're trying to, like, I was going to let you talk about how Hannah's, like, weepy. But Hannah's, like, weepy. And she's, like, Mona. Like, in a tone that Mona has, like, dreamt of through the long nights. But then exactly. Mona has to be, like, no, no, no. I'm not Mona. I'm Allison. And she's so convincing that the liars seem a little confused. Yeah, the line, I know it's been a while, but I haven't changed that much, have I? Uh, and yeah, this this is another thing where, okay, I love Janelle playing Mona, playing Allison. I love um, Mona, who has always wanted to be Allison, sort of, that idea of, you know, you you... You get what you asked for, but it's like the dark, you know, mirror version of it. I think that's super, super cool. I remember when this episode aired thinking, oh, my God, this is like the most brilliant twist the show has ever done. However, when you factor in the trans twist, the idea of Mona being forced into uh, playing the role of this woman who is not her uh, and forced to sort of perform as this character almost. It is really, really gross and and bad that this is being inflicted on her by a trans character. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, so over at the boys club, uh, which I just, I feel like I just, at one point I in my head I was referring to it as like the sausage party. Like it's just <laughs> boys being boys. Uh, Caleb and Toby are trying to figure out from the GPS tracker what happened with the van. Prezra is there for some reason. Uh, A apparently hacked it remotely and took control of the van. Prezra asks Caleb if he's hacked into a security camera that, of course, Caleb's, like, already hacked into and dealt with. And it is totally a, like, it's like another, you know, Christmas party situation where it's like, Prezra, why are you here again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, despite the fact that Caleb and Prezra both went to the police, just just like last week, just during Allison's trial, it's as if they both have no understanding of what that experience is going to be like. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's. Uh, yeah. Uh, so at the weirdest tea party this side of Wonderland, Mona, as Allison, is pouring everyone tea. and The liars are all more or less freaking out. Emily is opening doors, trying to find a way out. Hannah keeps calling uh, keeps calling Mona as Allison Mona, which Mona as Allison hates. Uh, she calls Spencer an imbecile, which is a good time. Uh, Hannah 
puts a hand on Mona's knee, which I think everyone is cheering for. Uh, whenever someone says anything like, we really thought you were dead, Mona answers as Allison, saying, oh, I know, thank God for the Grunwald, etc. Uh, she also gives a scathing remark to Hannah about her weight as she pressures her to take a cookie, which is like, it's like so, it's so wild. Like she knows, like she knows when she's saying it, like Mona knows that she's saying it as Allison because Mona herself would never be that cruel to Hannah. Like it's really, oh yeah. man, it's really something. Uh, Hannah is clearly having a lot of mixed feelings here. At one point, Emily touches a strand of Mona's blonde hair and mouths to Spencer, shocked. It's her real hair. And it's like, Emily, you are trapped in an underground bunker. But the most shocking thing to you is that hair dye exists? (laughs) I I just love that Emily Fields is still capable of, like, focusing on that enough to be, like, repulsed. (laughs) Like, it's her real hair. Oh, Emily, good Lord. Um, when a chime sounds, Mona, as Allison, leads them out of the room. I, yeah, the, I love uh, the choice for Emily to be the most physically anxious through all of this. Like, she's the one who's, like, constantly, like, pacing and looking for a way out, which feels very in keeping with Emily, who's, like, the most physical of the liars. Um, I just, Mona's energy through all of this is so fascinating she's sort of she's sort of serene but like there's a definite anxiety behind it all um I also love the choice that Aria is the quickest to play along she's the first one to call her Allison which feels exactly right to me uh so the liars follow Mona to this game room uh Spencer almost like a like they're, you know, calling to her like she's like yeah, Sleeping Beauty or something. She goes right over to the blocks, which are all letters. Uh, Mona sits down at the table and says that they need to play, even if they don't want to, because four chimes means it's game time. Uh, the game is a, it's a game called Mystery Date. And um, there's another little chime and Mona opens a tiny mailbox, which are invitations to prom. And the liars kind of realize that they are playing to see who is going to be their date for prom. Uh, Mona starts opening up pictures on the mystery date game. Caleb, there is one of Prezra. No clue who Emily's date would have been because these are all pictures from the ice ball. Uh, then Emily attended the ice ball with Paige. Also very curious who Mona's date would have been. Uh, but when once the picture of Caleb comes up, Hannah gets up to address the camera, yelling that they can have them. But if Caleb shows up here or gets hurt, she will kill A. Yeah, yeah. She yells that Mona is not Allison. She's Mona. Um, yeah, Hannah's Hannah's anger here is really interesting. And also that Hannah is like, you can have us. Like, yes. Hannah... Hannah has been in jail long enough that she's like, it's almost like she's saying like, I've given up on freedom for myself. Yes. But what I want to do is I want to bargain so that you don't hurt the people I love who are not here. Like yes. I'm here. My friends are here. Mona is alive here. I'll take this deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so she yells that Mona is Allison and um, or Mona is not Allison. She's Mona. 
here we get a uh, he, she, it, bitch, um, which is disappointing. Uh, Mona is, like, getting more agitated. She says, you know, she's Allison. They have to play along. Like, the, they, the other liars, they want to go. They want to run. But then this horrible alarm sound goes off. And they all grab their ears. It's, you know, just sounds like probably being in there is just torture. Mona says it won't stop until they're back in their rooms. They all rush back into their individual rooms and the alarm goes off. Yes. Ooh. I kind of wish that the siren sounded every time the show became transphobic, but then we would probably hear very little of the mystery plot from here to the end of 6A. Fair point. Also, just to, like, talk about how the show is, like, like the show is saying like when we're going to get to you know the the prom stuff uh and it's like oh this is going to be the prom from like seven years ago from the last year that melissa and ian went to the prom together so they're already saying like this is a throwback to something that happened before um but it's also like like similar to when we're eventually going to get the flashback to the hastings picking up spencer uh from you know basically from mary drake's womb and all of a sudden everything is like in the 1940s and it's noir like mystery date is like a game that is like mad men has an episode where mystery date features where like sally draper is freaked (laughs) out and being babysat by henry francis's mother like you know this is like this is like from the era when this transphobia is like it's, That's it's really like they, they opened up this, and I mean, not that there's not transphobia now, there certainly, certainly is, but like the way they are writing this is as if they, the writers, have not really evolved from that point in time, I feel. Well, I agree, and it's really interesting the way that parts of PLL sort of exist like that. Like, I feel like Radley is very much, like, everything in Radley feels like it was never really updated from the 1950s. Um, all of the parts of the dollhouse that are not like either the the prom area or um, like any of the liar specific rooms feel very 1950s, like the vault that they go into at one point is that way. So it's it's interesting when you think about Charlotte as a character who like grew up in Radley and the idea that she's kind of potentially recreating that in her dollhouse, like super interesting idea Except I don't feel like it's done with any intentionality. I feel like it's just like an aesthetic choice. And they're sort of using it as a way to get away with these really outdated ideas around gender. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Over at the world headquarters of Why Are Men, Inc., uh, (laughs) we are still trying to answer that question. Uh, Caleb is trying to look at footage of A, controlling the van from the nearby overpass. Unfortunately, A has already thought of this and has overridden the security footage with a happy little cartoon of a dog in a car. Prozrek can't take it. He kicks slash punches the wall and grimaces with emotional constipation. Caleb has some new idea about pinpointing the signal the hacker used, and Prezra has the Shakespearean line delivery. I don't need ice. I need to find Aria. Uh, this is all well and good, but... The urgency that they are expressing here is cut down when we know that they are not going to save them in this episode or for a really long time or honestly (laughs) at all. Um, Also, (laughs) Prezra's rage here again demonstrates what a fantastic A 
he would have been. And I would love to watch a version of this show where he and Toby, who were both on the verge of losing control of their women folk, cooked up the dollhouse and are basically keeping watch on Caleb to make sure he will not figure them out. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I mean, the idea of Prezra, it would be so Prezra, right, to be like, you know, he's like the firefighter who sets fires, like to to have set up the dollhouse and then be, you know, quote unquote, helping them, helping the liars escape. Oh, yeah. If Toby could shoot him while he's helping the liars escape, like that would just be his ideal, uh, his ideal situation. Instant orgasm for Prezra. Like mm-hmm. just, yeah. Uh, so Hannah is in her room at night. Shockingly, she's able to sleep. I don't think I'd be able to sleep, but I mean, I guess she has been through a lot. Uh, she hears some noises and her doorknob turns and it is Mona. Mona is carrying a little lantern and says that they've got three minutes. Hannah needs to come on. And it's amazing because immediately you can tell this is Mona as Mona. Like she's dropped the Allison act here. And this is where it's like, oh, my God, Janelle is just so good because she just the nuances are so great. Uh, So out in the hallway, Mona is leading the liars as like this is this. This is again, this is the cracked mirror version of like what Mona's always dreamed of. Right. She is leading the liars as Allison through a hallway, no less. If only this was the Rosewood High hallway instead of a creepy bunker hallway you know, life would be just perfect for her. Uh, She is explaining that every night the main generator cuts off, providing three minutes uh, before the backup generator kicks in. She's run for 90 seconds in each direction, and she sort of lays out the schematics of the bunker. Uh, She's tried to explore, but she can't get back to most places, or she can't get to most places without making it back to her room uh, in order to make it back to her room in time. She also mentions this area that's A's vault that she's very curious about. And, of course, Spencer is curious about as well. Mona says that uh, punishment for not making it back to your room. You are left without food or water. Uh, The siren is blasted. You have to hear a recording of the people that you've left behind crying at your funeral. At that, Mona asks if her mom is okay. And Hannah realizes that this means that she knows that she is Mona. Mona explains that A wanted her to be Allison, and so that's who she pretends to be when A is watching, but she's still here, which means that she's the one winning the game. Hannah says that she saw Leona a lot in the beginning, uh, then explains, you know, what with all the arrests and people thinking that uh, she and Allison killed Mona, it's gotten a little dicey. Uh, Mona has a great line where she's like, didn't think you were wearing that to make a fashion statement, referring to their orange jumpsuits. We learn that Leona never showed up to the courthouse, which I always thought would be a great clue that like A had taken Leona or killed Leona. Uh, But I don't think that I don't I don't know if we ever see Leona again. Oh, what a good question. I don't know if we do either. We'll have to keep an eye on that. I always thought that Leona was going to get murdered or stolen by A. Um, It would have been interesting if Leona was stolen and had to be Jessica, wouldn't it? Oh, Um, man. Yeah. Uh, Hannah hugs Mona and it's very, very sweet. Uh, but quickly a cuts it short when, uh, the, the backup generator comes back on. Oh man. Yeah. This is a, this is a great, great, great scene. I love Mona asking about her mom. Um, and I love that like Mona says, as long as she's still, she still knows who she is. She's winning the game. And I feel like, like, 
Mona has been here for months now. It's it's yeah. been over three months. I mean, time is like has no meaning in Rosewood, but Mona has been down here for a long time. The liars just got here. Mona was here essentially by herself, like just communicating yeah. with like these chimes and like whatever torture A was cooking up. And so it's like really a fascinating look at her character that like her survival mode requires her to believe that she is winning the game. Like even if she's underground in this bunker, even if she can only run for 90 seconds each way every night, like even if now the other, like Mona, if she believes that she's winning, she believes like she believes that she is going to win in the end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One game at a time. So, not at the dollhouse, at jail, uh, Allison, too, is wearing full-body shackles and being led into a room uh, to see Peter and Veronica Hastings. They're here to intimidate this jailed teenager. She asks how Spencer is, and they are just irate. They want to know if she knows where Spencer is. Allison is confused and also immediately terrified. Like, no, don't they? Uh, Veronica explains that the van never made it to the penitentiary and that the police think the liars escaped, but they know that is not true. Peter throws some blame and shame on Allison, uh, even saying that the guard outside won't be able to save her if she lies to them this night. Uh, Allison breaks down in tears and swears that she is Spencer's friend she doesn't know where they are, but she knows who took them. She immediately tells them about A and explains that the game started again with a new puppet master when Mona was in Radley. The Hastings find this hard to believe, but Allison insists. She says she's telling the truth. She's going to be in jail for the rest of her life. A killed Mona and her mom. She has nothing left to lose by telling them the truth. Peter, who actually did accidentally murder Jessica, does not even flinch here at the mention of his crime. True, 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 true. I think it's so interesting the way that like A functions almost like Santa Claus, where it's like the grown-ups can never really know about or understand or believe in A. And it's it's funny, I don't know if you have this reaction. Whenever the grown-ups find out about A, even though theoretically you're like, yeah, they should know, it always feels somewhat wrong to me because I'm like, <laughs> like, how can you possibly understand the magnitude of A if you are not being directly targeted by A? Um, and also, how, you know, when have any of these parents ever made anything better other than Ashley Marin? Um, but yes, it is good, like, objectively, that an adult is finding out about A here. Well, and that Allison is, like, making an executive decision. Like, yes. it's, it's you know, whenever the liars are thinking about telling someone, they have to, like, have a poll. And all someone, usually Aria, is like, what if we just don't do anything? <laughs> like, you know, like, Allison is, like, empowered to make this executive decision. And I feel like we would never see, like, Hannah told Ashley about A, like, right at the end when Hannah was about to go to jail, she told her mom. But, like... You would never see any of the other liars tell a parent, not yeah. their parent, about A. Like, this is yeah. totally a decision that only Allison is making. And on your point about, like, how the adults, like, the grown-ups can never know about A, unless you're fucking Prezra and you've <laughs> known about A for, like, years. Um, but that, this is, like, I think, I think I'm going to do a TV comparison that we have not yet done <sighs> before in, like, all the time we're talking about the show. 
It's similar to how Sesame Street used to have Snuffleupagus and nobody could see him. Like, I'm old, so, like, when I was growing up, nobody could see Snuffleupagus. But then uh, it became, like, a thing where people were like, well, you know, like, children who are being, like, abused could, could maybe think that, like, Snuffleupagus is, like, a metaphor for how if they tell, grown-ups won't believe them. And at that time, it was, like, the first, like, my first memory of, like, people acting like there was a, oh, you know, people are just so PC. Now Snuffleupagus can't even be invisible anymore. But, like, it's like that. And it is like that. It's like how you can say that you're being abused and what if no one believes you? What if the adults don't believe in your reality because you're just a teenage girl? Uh, Which, like, look at Prezra. Look at Ian. Look at all of these adult men. Look at Holbrook kissing Hannah. Look at Wilden. Like, look at all of Like, that is what... A is and that's why it makes so much sense for A to be one of these guys like one of these serial abusers who are just like pattering around Rosewood everywhere you go yes yes I also think you know I love the idea of Prezra and Toby being like the A's in this episode Peter Hastings would make a really great A in this episode because he is just play acting the concerned father all over the place. But there is a falseness to it. And I love how in the middle of this scene, he just casually threatens Allison to death. Like he's just casually like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you won't make it till morning if you're lying to us. I'm actively threatening to kill a teenage girl right now. And it's like, I think a fascinating thing, too, is the way that like, the liars Al- and Allison and Mona specifically get talked about and sort of turned into these like not even human like these like outsized you know criminal masterminds capable of anything and so it makes anything that anyone does to them specifically anything that a man does to them because they're like a monster they're like Godzilla or you know they're they're whatever they're King Kong they're like you can't uh you know, you can't actually kill them. You can't actually wound them because they're just these, you know, they live in the adrenalized hyper reality. So whatever you do to them is perfectly fine, you know, and that I think is like this weird attitude that gets perpetuated and then completely gets used against the character of Charlotte. Oh, I, no doubt you are a hundred percent right about everything you just said. Um, in terms of Peter Hastings, I do think it would be like, the Hastings would kidnap Spencer if it prevented her from going yeah. to jail. They 100% would. Uh, and also shout out to Veronica, who, while I don't believe that she herself would threaten to murder a teenager uh, in a jail visitation, uh, who sits by and certainly does let her husband do that without protesting one bit. Veronica is a fascinating character in terms of like that idea of women who appear to be sort of like the lean in feminism, but like are actually upholding the patriarchy in so many ways. Like, I feel like Veronica is a fascinating example of that. Well, also the, the Hastings kind of, it's not even like they have like a love me, love my dog. They have like a love me, love my crimes situation. Like if, if we're going to stay married, like, you know, like later she's going to find out that Peter killed Jessica and she's going to be like, well, I guess I'm going to have to resign my political office. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, I've said this before, but I, I absolutely see a Bill and Hillary thing with the Hastings. Like, I think that that is almost a blueprint for their marriage in a lot of ways. 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, so back at the dollhouse, actually, this is not at the dollhouse. This is at the like a control center, which also seems to be out of like like a a different decade. Um, because A is watching the liars uh, on all of these computers. Uh, with this very sort of outdated looking technology in some sort of lair like space. Yes. Uh, and Hannah is like, you know, Mona is there. Uh, Spencer, who has her eyes open, as we all know, Spencer probably does not sleep more than four total hours any night ever. Uh, in her mind's eye, she is revisiting the game room and rearranging the letter blocks until they spell out dead name uh spencer sits up and whispers it has a name why are they doing this isn't, <laughs> like even even just listen to that line it has a name isn't yeah. a has a name a much stronger line or i know your name like to the camera like this is definitely deliberate because they are going with like the weakest possible choice. Yeah, it's a terrible line and it's it's again, it's the monster thing. It's oh, we're going to we're going to use the word it. We're going to reduce you to just you're just this monster, you're just this figure, you're just this faceless, you know, entity that is torturing us. And that might work better if A was Prezra or Ian or Wilden or Peter Hastings like that would work if a was one of these men who has been torturing the liars and I know that we are like broken records with that but it needs to be stated because the show just so thoroughly dropped the ball on this yeah and I agree I think that I think the show thinks it's trying to just make you know it as a monster but I, I think that when you look at how, like, how loaded that word is oh. uh, in terms of, like, the transgender community and in terms of, like, you know, if, if you're not, like, a boy or a girl, you, like, it, it's just, yeah, this is, this is very disturbing. And it's also bad writing all the way around. Bad oh. from start to finish. Completely, completely. It's, it is dehumanizing um, it is dehumanizing way a in the way that trans people are dehumanized in so many ways uh, in in our society and in media. Uh, so over in Mona slash Allie's room, a warm glow awakes her and she smiles at the camera. Um, this this is I mean, I've said this before. This is just where I took the note that like the idea of a trans character demanding other women perform a false femininity is so incredibly fucked up. I can hardly stand it. But that this would all be sublime if the villain was a straight cis het white dude. Uh, I just I just in the middle of this, that scene, I just had to pause. Take that note and then go back to writing my notes. Scene. I was like, I just need to get this thought out there. So Mona uh, has a present, a present for Allison, because, you know, uh, and the present is a gas mask with a card that says, because you are my favorite, A. Uh, she turns to the camera and asks if she should put it on. The bell chimes, yes. Uh, she does put the gas mask on. And I have to say that the shot of Mona brushing her hair in a gas mask, uh, her Allison hair, that shockingly to Emily Fields was in fact real. That is just peak PLL right there. An icon. Yes. A, a, the Vander Jesus at her most Vander Jesus-y. 
Your fave could never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the way that she does it, like, it's the most regular thing in the oh, world. Yeah. Like, the way that she's just like, today I brushed my hair with my gas mask on. My favorite micro detail, and I don't know if this was a Janelle thing or a director thing, but it's so great, is like she puts on the gas mask and she kind of like adjusts it a little bit, like she's adjusting a hair bow or something before <laughs> starting to brush her hair. It's so great. Look, <laughs> felt yeah. cute. Might walk through some gas later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, oh, at the police station. Well, we are at one of the most infuriating moments of the season. Officer Tobey is trying to be the police's best boy and <laughs> prove that someone cyberjacked the van and took the girls. Um, he has, like, a whole report that Caleb, like, obviously wrote and created and documented. And here is Tobey to deliver it with all of his badge-based authority. Uh, Tanner looks at it and agrees she got a very similar report this morning. Then she picks up the phone to order an APB on Caleb Rivers because she believes he is the most likely cyberjacker. Officer Tobey, aspiring best boy, looks shocked as if he has never encountered how the police work in this town despite having joined up with the police in this town. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, an ex a fun thing is how much Tanner delights in all of this, because she's, like, she's, like, practically twirling a mustache as she's, like, get me an APB for Caleb Rivers, which is, like, it's so ridiculous that she would do this in front of Toby because of everything. Um, I do have to say, I was surprised by how quickly Toby lied and was like, no, I haven't seen him in days. Like that was, a, a, it's not a good lie, but I was surprised that he was able to come up with any lie so quickly. Well, like officer goldfish, he obviously forgets how the police work. Every time he walks out of a room, he may have also forgotten that he saw Caleb mere minutes ago. Um, good point. Like, oh, fuck. come on, dude. Come on. <laughs> Also, I agree, like, like, Tanner is just chewing so much scenery here, like, she practically has, like, like, there are pieces of that phone just flying all over, like, she's just devouring it uh, as, she's, as she's calling for that APB. Also, also, uh, if Tobey and Prezra were behind the dollhouse, wouldn't this be a smart move to get Caleb thrown in the slammer? I love how we're just like rewriting this episode as we go. Yes, totally agree. Like he's 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 doing it. He's doing it all along. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I see Tanner like with a chair leg as a toothpick later in this. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is kind of an. I mean, it's funny because it's like. It, with the Tanner stuff, I feel like you have to take a step back and be like, okay, if you just fundamentally do not believe that A exists, what is the most logical explanation? And it's like, yeah, that Caleb hacked in and like, you know, hacked in and redirected it and took his girlfriend. Like, if you're dead set against saying that A doesn't exist, that's probably the next most logical theory, I guess. <laughs> you know, logic, logic and Rosewood is sort of a... I, I mean, on one hand, muggles will go to any lengths to ignore magic, even when it's staring them in the face, to, like, quote, another transphobic source <laughs> of, of information. Um, but 
man, like the way that Tanner, like no matter how many people try to tell Tanner, no matter how many ways, her like willingness to just deny it is is really quite extreme. And then later in this episode, we're gonna see that turn on not terribly good evidence. So we'll just we'll we'll just go on that journey with her when we get there. <laughs> Tanner's going through a lot today. She really is. <laughs> Uh, so in the hallway, Spencer is explaining to the liars that the blocks in the playroom spelled out dead name. Uh, the liars come into sort of this very industrial warehouse looking, uh, part of the dollhouse and they are invited to find their stations for prom. Aria is on music. Emily and Spencer are on decorating and Hannah's food and beverage to which she, she responds, bite me. Uh, Allie slash Mona, of course, is on the prom queen collection committee. Uh, Aria notes that these songs are all from seven years ago, which I like the idea of Aria being like, <laughs> okay, we're in this underground bunker. But, like, <laughs> these songs, you guys, like, these songs are, like, not current. I don't, I don't know. Um, so apparently is the theme. Uh, this is actually from the prom when Melissa took Ian, which is rather gay of Charlotte to be like, I need to recreate the prom from when my, uh, you know, long lost love took some stupid boy to the event. Um, a, they, they say that A is creating a prom that has already happened. Uh, Mona as Allison brings up the time that Allison rigged the election in Spencer's favor. She quips, I'll help you if you help me. All of the Spencer Mona stuff for the rest of the episode feels like double entendre. And it feels like they're talking about like what sexual position they want to try next. Um, she, <laughs> she, Mona writes down uh, asking the liars if they all got gas masks. Totally just normal, you know, normal thing to just start off a conversation with. They say no. Then Hannah, sweet Hannah, picks up a card and just writes, I'm scared. <laughs> Which like. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for the invitation. Or thank you for, for the, the for letting us know. Yeah. I love that Hannah does that. I love like I, I mean it's so silly, but also like I it's just like they're in a situation where they have no control and like yes. everything they do is being monitored. And I love that like Hannah just like it's like when you have a feeling or an emotion and you just need to get it outside yourself. Totally. And she like Hannah, who is often like the most emotionally healthy liar who like tried the hardest in therapy, for example. Yeah. Uh, she, she is the one who says that here. And I think that's quite something. This is her version of like smashing the plate here in a, uh, here, here in, in the dollhouse. Um, I do think there's an interesting thing in this episode. I sort of alluded to it earlier and we'll get into it more as the episode goes on that Hannah is almost painted as like the most fragile liar, which I think is something that continues into the next episode a bit. Is that just because she's the one who's been in jail? Is it because she's the one who's the most affected by Mona being alive? Like, why do you think that is slash? Did you feel that as well? Um, well, it's interesting that Hannah is cast as the most emotionally fragile. Um, I think that Hannah is is the most realistic. I think that Hannah is like the most like aware of like what is actually happening and what the repression like 
Hannah is not necessarily trying to plot their escape. Like right. Hannah thought that she was going to be in jail for a long time. And I think there's a strong argument to be made that Hannah may feel like, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this dollhouse until A decides to kill us. Like she's not saying that to the other liars, but I think that she definitely, like, if Mona has not been able to escape from this place in three months, what must Hannah think about her chances of getting out? Yeah, and I mean, we've, we have seen her kind of, you know, going through those stages of grief, going through into the place of sort of acceptance. And so, yeah, she was, our, yeah, that's a great point. She was already in a really different place by the time, you know, by the time they got here. Yeah, I and also this is the last thing I'm going to say about Hannah writing. I'm scared on the note card, but like um, I I read an article one time about the um, when John McCain was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and like not specifically about when like him or him coming up with this or anything, but like the prisoners who were in that prison, which was like a, a very brutal place, had a method of communicating with each other where they would. Um, they had to sweep every day. That was like a thing that they had to do like in their cells or like in the common areas. And they developed a code for like three sweeps would mean this and like two sweeps Mm -hmm. would mean this. So it was like, it was like a method of communication and uh, like the most common like sweep message that they would send to each other was like, I love you. I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel like that's kind of what Hannah and Mona are doing for each other here. They're like, that like you're not forgotten like our bond isn't forgotten like we still like like when they were saying in the prison van like we still have each other like I feel like that is like what Hannah is doing is she's reinforcing the bond well it's also really interesting in an episode like where the liars are treating a as somebody who is not human the a is treating the liars sort of as not human and it's almost like Hannah is determined for none of them to forget their humanity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oof. So uh, at the layer of useless men, there is a knock on the door. Uh, Tobey opens it up and we see that the Hastings have arrived. Their code word for admission is we know about A. Tobey lets them in. I feel like the way that Tobey lets them in, um, because Caleb is like in the background and Caleb is wearing, he has like a flannel tied around his waist, but the way that the flannel is tied around his waist makes it look like he's wearing pajama pants. And I feel like he lets them in with this way that's like, like you, it almost wouldn't be surprising if what the Hastings actually said was like, we know you and Caleb are a couple. And Toby's (laughs) like, fine, come in. (laughs) I feel like you are getting all of the useless men scene. Do you want to take this next one? Oh, no, no, I, okay. I don't mind. We can, I okay. mean, we both have a lot to say about every part of this episode. That, so. is, true. that is true. Uh, so back at Decorating Central, Spencer gets a paper cut, I think, uh, then starts railing about how a prom, they're having a prom with construction paper and tape. Emily suggests that maybe this is their punishment, but Spencer, uh, she's ready to goad A, saying that she's surprised that A doesn't have the imagination to see how cool this room could be. Hannah just starts casually eating cookies in the background, uh, but Spencer suggests ways that they could rig the cameras to take pictures and re- and how to repurpose the copper pipes. 
Uh, Mona quickly jumps in on this plan, offering some other suggestions of ways that they could use the space uh, in a way that makes it clear that they are planning something else, possibly, you know, how they're going to defeat A, possibly how they're going to have sex later, possibly both. Uh, (laughs) uh, Spencer snaps her fingers and says, now that would be a night at the opera. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, the mind meld of Spencer and Mona here is very impressive. Very impressive. It is really something. Ah. At the Manly Man Hacking Company, now with parents, the Hastings (laughs) are advocating for telling the other girls' parents what they know i.e. that A is back and their daughters are missing. Uh, They suggest going to the police or to the press, but the boyfriends veto both these ideas. They're upset with themselves for not realizing what was happening, but Tobey consoles them that forcing the liars to keep secrets is what A does best. They have some boxes that contain everything they know about A. These are Prezra's boxes, to be clear. Uh, But Prezra cautions them, these aren't just the liar's secrets. Their secrets are in there, too. Peter, who's done, like, at least three murders, probably, looks spooked. Um, but Veronica holds this giant knife that he's pulled to try to open the boxes. She holds his hand and says, no more secrets. As they're about to slice open the reveal of his, like, 60 illegitimate children, uh, Presra suddenly finds out that the police are downstairs and they're coming up to arrest Caleb. The Hastings don't want Toby to be found harboring a fugitive. Caleb just kind of gets up and decides that he's going to go downstairs and get arrested. And Peter nods to Toby like, good boy, you overgrown puppy. They need him on the right side of this and his boss. As the scene is ending, Veronica gets a call on her cell. It's Melissa, she says. And then we cut to Andrew at a laptop with headphones monitoring Veronica's conversation as she and Melissa have something to tell one another. (laughs) Don't they always? Um, Yeah, this scene is so funny. Like the when Peter says they talk about the press and when Peter says some lady at the Philadelphia King owes him a favor. And I'm like, what? What? Like, what? (laughs) Like, what, I want to know what happened there. Like, is this some other woman he's, like, having an affair with? Like, what's the situation? Also, I love just, like, like, can you imagine if Peter and Veronica just turned to president? They were like, so where's all this research from? Is this, like, <laughs> what's, what, why do you know all of this about our daughter? Why do you have, like, pictures of her in her room and stuff? And, like, because, like, the thing that is just so unspoken is like, this was his creepy research book. This is his, like, this is his stalking materials and it's being used as like the thing that's going to save the day. Also, shouldn't the Hastings be like, weren't you their English teacher? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't the Hastings be like, didn't we see you at parent-teacher conferences? I mean, they, they would never go to parent-teacher conferences. They're constantly out of town. But, like, didn't we didn't we schedule and then cancel a parent-teacher conference with you? Didn't we, didn't we send our chauffeur to a parent-teacher conference with you at some point? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that maybe Prezra is just banking on the absence of the Hastings parents to have, like, no clue who he is. I would love if there was a running bit throughout this episode where, like, Peter Veronica kept asking Prezra, like, who are you again? And, like, every time he gave a different answer, like, he's like, oh, I I own the brew. I'm I'm, I'm Toby's landlord. I'm a I'm a friend of Mike Montgomery's, I guess. <laughs> I saved him from a tetherball situation last week. It was really weird. <laughs> Aria, that name doesn't ring a bell. I don't think I know any Aria Montgomery. <laughs> Can I interest you in a scone from my new show? <laughs> I'm Emily's boss. I have she did she didn't show up for work today, and she didn't ask anyone to cover for her, which was very unusual. Yeah. If you see her, could you give her this paycheck I have for her? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. See, this is why the Hastings are the only parents they could bring in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very true. Um. So there's more gender talk back at the dollhouse about whether or not A could possibly be a guy. Uh, Mona suggests that after the prom, she might be the only one that A wants to keep, hence the gas mask. There is a delightful exchange between Mona and Spencer where Mona says, have you ever built one? And Spencer replies, I haven't needed to build one, which is like dialogue straight out of, I don't know, like Apollo 13 or something. Um, the materials they're asking for could temporary, temporarily shut off the electricity Mona says that she hopes that A does come to prom because there's five of us and one of them. Uh, the writers do not use the word them, by the way, but that's <laughs> that I am choosing to use. No, that is that is true. That that scene is a not a long scene, but the misgendering is like a real through line. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, as the liars return to their workstations, Spencer is thrilled with the new materials that A has provided. Emily is not thrilled. She mocks Spencer for doing A's bidding, then sits herself on the ground, vowing that she is not helping. She is not going to participate in this little charade. Uh, Spencer argues with her and then kind of kicks her as she walks by. Uh, Emily gets up and they argue some more. Spencer accuses Emily of quitting everything. The swim team, Paige, Maya. This is a low blow and Emily shoves her and the two of them get into quite the elaborate scuffle uh, while they are fighting and just captivating the cameras that are zooming in on this little piece of drama. Mona quickly commandeers a bunch of materials and hides them for their device making purposes. Aria and Hannah end up breaking up the fight and Spencer and Emily apologize to one another. Then Mona, as Allison, suggests that they put the ballots in, and they all seem to be going along with her suggestion. Oh, man, nothing like a good old Spencer and Emily fake fight. And I will say, the way that Spencer kicks Emily, uh, I, I feel like these two do the best fake fights because there is, like a layer of whatever you want to call it, like, you know, a, a layer of like friend animosity or sexual tension, whatever you want to say, running underneath most of their interactions. I think it <clears throat> comes from them being like too similar in a way, like mm -hmm. the way that they're both kind of vying for, uh, you know, yeah, the, the way that they're both kind of vying for power. Um, 
it is so funny to me how it's like, no matter what, A, whoever A is, A will always be fooled by a Spencer-Emily fight, especially if they're in orange jumpsuits. Like, it's like, no matter how smart A is, no matter how much A is planned, A just can't resist a little Spencer-Emily fight. It's just, it's just too captivating. Well, I mean, I, and I know that you were saying, like, the the smartness uh, of A seems to, like, really rise and fall in the whims of the writers, but I actually do think, like, if you think about how smart we know Charlotte is, I would not put it past Charlotte to just be like, well, how cute. They're making an escape plan. Let's see how this plays out. Like, I, I mean, I, I feel Fair. like she knows it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it, I mean, it doesn't. So no, no. Yeah. I mean, I feel yeah. like she might just be kind of like, well, that's adorable. Let's, <laughs> let's see how you do. I've just had Mona and Sarah Harvey to, to, you know, hang with here for a while. Yeah, so yeah, why you not? Know. Well, yeah. and plus it's like Mona, like Mona understands the parameters of her captivity. The other liars don't yet. So True. I, I feel like, you know, from, from a certain like perspective of Charlotte as a captor, like what's the harm? Like they're not going to get out. What's the harm in letting them run to see how truly trapped they are? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's sort of like, you know, a parent, like, letting their kid get, you know, burned by the stove or something. Um, parents shouldn't be doing that. But, like, <laughs> I, it's, you know, for the sake of, like, teaching them about not getting burned a second time, right? Um, so, uh, and I do love always, like, the Mona Spencer little smirky smirks that are being exchanged back and forth. Uh, so Caleb is being questioned by Tanner with Peter and Veronica as his lawyers. Uh, Tanner suggests that he knows more than what he's telling them. And Caleb taunts her by mentioning, uh, hacking into their system. Now, I know that, like, he's doing this allegedly because, like, he's basically saying, like, if you let me hack into your system, I can get more information. But it also just plays as, like, a man unable to not brag even at a time like this. Like, I am I could go to jail for this thing, but I'm going to brag about it anyway because I can. Um, Tanner is, you know, understandably not so quick to trust Caleb. But the Hastings ask how four teenagers could be so good at evading the police. Caleb follows this up by saying that there's no way Hannah wouldn't call him if she could. And we see really for the first time Tanner starting to kind of, you know, warm up to this idea that maybe there is another entity at work here. Yeah, his heterosexual declaration that Hannah would never not call him if she could. Like that just that just is what is. Uh, Peter Hastings looks so he looks so spruced up in this scene like he just looks like he's about to go like argue in front of the state supreme court he does not look at all like worried or like like he's pulling at his hair like he just looks so fresh here uh and also shout out to veronica doing her like uh you know, like how Ella's number one move is like, let's just not do anything and see what happens. Like Veronica's number one move is like, I'm going to tell you what happened. And after Caleb says like, I hacked into your system and traced this signal. And she's like, what he meant to say was if he had done this. <laughs> like, like everyone in the room just heard him say he did. But Veronica is like, I will Jedi mind trick you into believing <laughs> that what he meant was if. 
and we'll all just go from there. <laughs> what if something different happened? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At a certain point in this episode, and it happens later, I feel like Peter and Veronica just turn into Benson and Stabler a little bit. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. In my notes, I'm like, Peter and Veronica are walking around like FBI agents. Like, yeah, it's when they have like... coats on. It's the coat. Yeah. The coats yeah. make the perfect detective. <laughs> oh, um, so the liars are getting the whole exploding decorations situation set up. Uh, it's all looking good. Uh, they have like jury rigged this camera to be like the trigger device. Uh, and because Aria is the one who's so good with photography, she's going to take the picture. Oh, Laurel Tuckman would be so proud. Um, Aria like picks up the camera and Spencer has to be like, but not yet. And it's like, that would be so Aria. She just like set off. Like if the entire room just like exploded because she was like practicing. Uh, but uh, so not yet. There's only one, as Spencer says, first picture. Uh, the liars are sent back to their rooms via another multilingual airport announcement. I had the same note. I was like, Aria would totally be the one to screw this up by being like, oh, a picture. <laughs> Aria would be like, Sophie. <laughs> exactly. Come on, everybody. She's like, put paper bags over your heads. Come on. <laughs> It'll be so fun. <laughs> Uh, Prezra like <laughs> somehow Arya like texts the picture to Prezra and like Peter Hastings like looks over his shoulder and is like what's that picture? He's like, Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, this is also, Hannah definitely seems a little bit more upset than the other liars. Emily like kind of assures her that everything's going to be okay which of course it's not but you know Emily's got an Emily. Well, this is like this is like Hannah understanding more about captivity than the other yeah. liars do at this time. Totally, totally true. Uh, so Caleb, this, this is where it is like we are we have entered a different show. We are in now. We are in Officer Kavanaugh the series, but this is the backdoor pilot Hacker Caleb the series. Because Caleb has been invited into, like, the hacking command center of the Rosewood PD, uh, I, you know, gearing up for his spinoff here. He says, oh, wow, he has found an active signal with coordinates for the van. He has the line, the back door gives you a different view, which, sir? <laughs> <laughs> um. And and Tanner has the line that I feel like if you ever play a cop on a show, you want to be the one to be able to say, call it in. Uh, so it's we're calling it in and it's, you know, time to time to mobilize. Also, like it should be noted, like uh, when we're talking about uh, a motivations and you were saying that like Prezra is like the fireman who starts fires like. Remember how Tobey was so upset because he got sent on a coffee run last yeah. week? He was so upset that he decided to reunite with Spencer over it. Well, gosh, now Spencer is kidnapped and can't be an uppity girlfriend anymore. And look who gets to call it in. Look who gets to run around this whole episode yeah. doing his favorite flashlight and handgun cosplay. Yelling, <laughs> clear, clear. I'm just saying that, like, that is, like, if th if that's not a motivation for yeah. Toby 
to be involved in this. I never heard that. Totally right. He gets to feel powerful. Yeah. 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 Uh, so in the dollhouse, uh, they're heading back into their rooms. Aria sees a froofy dress in her room. Uh, a thought of everything, she remarks. The others share a look as their doors close. Aria, who wears, like, all kinds of just, like, you know, that cat jacket that she had on a few weeks ago. Circus tents for skirts, like, you know, silverware for earrings. Like, Aria, who wears everything. Uh, she seems to be like kind of uh, kind of upset about having to wear a somewhat ugly out of fashion prom dress. And I'm also going to say they're, they're saying that this is from like seven years ago or whatever when Melissa was taking Ian to prom. This prom dress does not this prom dress is like it, the style of it is much older than that. Like the style of this prom dress is like 80s, 90s homecoming dance. Yeah, I feel like they kind of dropped the whole, like, seven years ago thing in the prom dress department because all of their prom dresses kind of look like they're from different eras. I yeah. think actually Spencer's is probably feels the most, like, period appropriate, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it's, it's flannel, so it's kind it, of a gay look also. It's kind of gay. It's, like, a little, like, Avril Lavigne-ish seeming. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, Hannah's is very modern, and Emily's, I don't, Emily's is like suede or something like Emily's or velvet like Emily's is a weird fabric um but anyway uh Toby approaches the van with the whole cop gun I'm a big boy now vibe about him uh but it's clear and Tanner starts marching around announcing you know bring in the cavalry because we could have a hostage situation yeah and Toby just looks at her like my boss lady is the best. She <laughs> agrees that his girlfriend might be kidnapped. <laughs> true, true, true. <sighs> My dude. Uh, so uh, the liars are at the prom clad in A's chosen ball gowns. Uh, none of them really look like something the liar would have chosen for themselves. Except maybe Emily's. Like, it feels wrong to dwell on the fashion choices here because they're not their choices. Uh, But I guess we can just say that all the gowns are, like, a little bit gothic. Like, Spencer's has the plaid pattern to it. You were saying it was kind of Avril Lavigne. Um, Emily's is, like, a blue crushed velvet. It does have a big slit up the leg, which is why I say, like, I kind of could see her wearing something like that. Yeah. Uh, um, There are a bunch of mannequins dressed to the nines. And Unwritten starts to play as the liars enter without Mona. Uh, they mill around the mannequins, kind of off balance and looking for A. Despite the fact that five of them are looking, no one seems to see actual A in a dramatic mask move. Also, A is wearing the most elaborate mask of all the masks. <laughs> it's red and white and like black with gold accents and like embossed detail. And they also seem to be wearing like a black mesh mask underneath to further disguise their features. (laughs) Yeah, this is such a just deranged moment of this series, like unwritten, which is like such a uh, such a perfect song choice, first of all, because it's like. (gasps) It's so it's so defined that era, but it's also like such an upbeat song. So it's so unsettling for that song to be playing 
while the liars are in this room filled with mannequins. Um, it does feel very like Phantom of the Opera. It's just so spooky, like mannequins wearing masks. Um, I do kind of love Spencer's dress because it does like it's like a it feels like looking at like an alternative version of Spencer, like the more like goth gay, you know, mid 2000s Spencer. <laughs> um, and yeah, it is just it is really something. Uh, the the woman on the speaker says to welcome their prom queen, Allison, and there Mona stands at the top of the stairs in her Allison mask, in a pink dress, while canned applause plays, and she's wearing her uh, her crown. Spencer helps Mona down the stairs and then invites A to join them, and all of the liars get in on this, inviting A to join them. They say that A, they have a crown there and say that A should be crowned the prom king. Uh, the figure in the tuxedo with the mask moves toward them. Uh, the liars are really, you know, understandably pretty freaked out. Uh, once A is closer, Aria, the photographer, uh, takes the picture, shutting off the electricity, and the liars begin to run through the darkened halls. With a lot of, like, ADR, like, come on, come on, come on, we gotta go, like, run, like, I'm scared, you know, like, a lot of, like, <laughs> kind of lines. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's so strange the way, like Spencer says the dead name here. She says the dead name while she's like handling uh, a crown. And it's like, this is a specific choice. Like they're trying to have Spencer reach out and say like, I recognize you, I see you, I know who you are. Yeah. And I think that another thing to consider here is that, um, Spencer is the first person to say the dead name. Like she said it, uh, she said it before when she was chatting with the other liars in the hallway, she says it here and she addresses a with it. Um, so like later it's going to be like, Oh yeah. Like this is, this is like a name that Charlotte uses as an alias, but like, it's actually not like the liars are the first ones to use it. All yeah. they saw were some blocks and then immediately, like, jumped to a lot of corresponding conclusions. Yeah, yeah, it is true. And it's, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting the way that, like, gender is treated as, like, this shell game through all of this, you know? And it's like, oh, we've, you know, we've got it. We've got it here. Like, we've figured it out. And it's like, there's... It's just, it's just so, it's just so wrong. Like, just the way that they choose to, to write this is just so, like, you look at it and you're like, what are they doing here? What is this? I mean, they're trying to write it so that the reveal of Charlotte as a transgender character will be, like, the tippy top hat on top of all the other hats. Yes. And they haven't, like, they haven't given it any real thought or consideration in terms of like what that means or what they're doing. Well, it's also like it's it's very it it feels like the um I just recently rewatched this movie, which is probably why I'm making this reference, but you know the scene in The Princess Bride where um they there's there are the two wine glasses and Wesley like he's having the battle of wits with uh, with Wallace Shawn and he's like 
which one which one did I poison? You know the scene I'm talking about? Yes. And then he's put the poison in both of them, ultimately. It feels like Charlotte being revealed as a trans woman is almost the I poisoned both wines. Because it's almost like, oh, well, the wine next to me is A being a man. And the wine next to you is A being <laughs> a woman. Like, that's too obvious. Like, we're saying that A is a man, but that's too obvious. So A obviously has to be a woman. But no, you would know that I would think that it would be the opposite. So A obviously has to be a man. But no, you know, and that whole game. And then Wesley being like, aha, but I have poisoned both wines. Like, that feels like the writers being like, we've come up with a twist that nobody would ever predict. Which is just like... You can't do that. You can't you can't turn gender and transness into a game of which wine is it. Yeah, I mean, they're they're really the reason that the show in this episode is so interested in gendering A and in using the dead name. They're they're making it like they're just making it like the lost golf club of of the later seasons. Like that's what they're trying to do, but you can't like it's it's too important. It's too complex. Like turfs are everywhere. Like you you can't you can't behave in this way. Uh, you you can't yes. you you can't do this when like bathroom bills are permeating throughout the country. Like it's just really irresponsible, especially to like make like the villain who's like the only villain that stays a villain ever yeah. in the whole series. Um, winds up being a trans woman who they're then going to kill off. Like, it's just, it's just disgusting. Yeah, completely, completely, completely. <sighs> so outside, we see the police presence, lights and sirens, and the Hastings walking around like FBI agents, like you were saying, Benson and Stabler in their long cop lawyer coats. Um, here they are. They're at the old Campbell apple farm just to make Andrew seem extra sus. The use of Andrew in this episode is super weird because we saw him in that one scene yeah. acting really suspicious. And then they're like, oh, here we are at the Campbell Apple Farm. So suspicious. Um, yeah. And then uh, Toby doing more flashlight, handgun flashlight, finds a storm cellar entrance that he calls Tanner's attention to. They head down the stairs and find banks of computer monitors. It's Tanner's first A-layer. <laughs> Toby identifies it as such, and he would know on account of having been on the A-team himself 5,000 times. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, it's my new, I mean, A's new lair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> I love this detail. This is so Spencer, that having gotten away you know, from the other liars, what's Spencer going to do? She's going to go straight to the vault. Uh, the vault, which appears to be sort of, it, it again has the very old-timey aesthetic. It's kind of a movie room of sorts. Uh, there's a record player. There's a popcorn machine. There's a projector that Spencer turns on. Uh, she sees footage of two children at the Campbell Apple Farm. Uh, they are, like, putting apples in a basket. And Spencer narrates that... The, if this is the vault, these must be the things that A treasures the most. On the video, we see a younger Jessica De Laurentiis holding uh, presumably baby Allison, inviting the two children to kiss their sister, which uh, is, I feel like this is where 
like the show has definitely toyed with the idea of a secret De Laurentiis before, but this is where that is being solidified as like the rest of the series will be all a game of who's the secret De Laurentiis. Like <laughs> this, buckle in because that's what every mystery from now on will be. Uh, as Spencer watches this video, A suddenly appears behind her. This I've like green vibes a little bit here, um, like with uh, Scott Foley. But um, then Spencer kind of is like talking to A about, you know, these are the things that you hold precious. Mona walks in just then, but A is gone. Uh, Mona says that this isn't what she thought it would be. She picks up a picture, which is a framed uh, childhood photograph. And Mona says that A has a soul, which is a line that infuriates me. Because you don't get to do all of this in this episode and then be like, the trans twist is okay, guys, because we said that A has a soul. It's all <laughs> fine. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They're making choices here. No good ones, but they yeah. are making choices. Yeah, they didn't just like fall ass backwards into this. Like everything in this episode is a choice. Yeah, and, like, the, the video that they're showing is Jessica with her, like, two assigned male-at-birth children and yeah. saying, like, oh, aren't you, <laughs> aren't you just the best assigned male-at-birth children? Like, you know, they're, this, yes. they're really, uh, they're, they're really hitting it, hitting it hard here. They're not doing it just one time. They're doing it pretty constantly. Well, and we didn't really dwell on this, but like A is dressed in a tuxedo, has the appearance of like short hair, um, has, you know, is is very much being presented as male in their physique. And that in, is also a choice. And is, is being presented as a male who likes to play with dolls, which like in the gender norms of the world that they're like writing from here is like another another really troubling thing like don't let your assigned male at birth child do that yeah. or they it might mean that they become too girly and it's just like oh show get it well, together there's also like there's just uh, yeah there's a even even taking us uh, like even taking aside the sort of trans piece there's also just an inherent like queerness to the way that this a is sort of being portrayed in a sense and like a, pll has a very troubling habit of linking queerness and evilness uh we've seen it with mona we've seen it with jenna we certainly will see it with charlotte um shauna you know uh and so like that that feels really weird too well, remember that eventually they're going to say that Noel Kahn was in the dollhouse. Uh, eventually that's going to, and I, I still really have a great deal of trouble accepting that. Like, I just don't think that like Noel, the guy who thinks it's funny to like sit under a sheet and wait to scare Spencer is going to be down for like this level of kidnapping the liars and keeping them imprisoned underground. Um, but in that event, uh, this is the kind of thing that I do think Noel would think is kind of funny to like stand behind Spencer in this weird mask and tuxedo. He would enjoy something like that. Yeah. The, 
it's 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 a <laughs> it's a much more minor offense than many others that we you know give more time to. But like they what they do to Noel's character in the later seasons of this series is so upsetting to me because like Noel was never like an like Noel was never evil. Noel was just like that jerk who like you know like makes fun of you but is like ultimately like somewhat harmless. Like yeah. <laughs> Justice for Noel Khan. <laughs> All right. Um so in front of the bank of monitors, Tanner is using remotes or the sound fixing board or I don't know the a layer app on Tobey's phone uh, to turn the closed circuit dollhouse channels on oh look there are the liars at their tea party and we get to hear Hannah deliver the, her line calling a and it one more time but the important thing is that Hannah is resisting and the liars are in their orange jumpsuits and Mona Vanderwall is alive and well with them where is this place, Tanner wonders, as Toby reports that the property is empty. My God, Tanner says, as it really does seem to occur to her <laughs> for the first time that A is real and the liars have been kidnapped. Now, I just want to point out that it is like, and I mean, I guess it's like, you know, it's nighttime. We don't really know what schedule the liars are on in the dollhouse, but like, Based on what seems to be happening in the dollhouse at this moment and what is happening in the timeline where there are Toby and the police, this dollhouse footage is from like earlier in the day. It's like pre-recorded. So like Tanner has like no way to say like when this took place, although the liars are in their jumpsuits. She doesn't know like where this is. It doesn't seem like she's like making a recording of it. So like just on Tanner's say so that like, well, I was in the storm cellar of this apple farm and I saw on a TV monitor that Mona is alive and the liars have been like, like, this is enough to get Allison out of jail? Like, on Tanner's say-so? I, okay, show. Okay. You know, you know, yeah, guess so. Guess so. Like, but like Tanner believes that Caleb Rivers, like, maybe hacked the van and rescued all of them. But she doesn't suspect that Tobey leading her to this convenient video of the liars and Mona could be anything but legitimate? <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently not. Yeah, it's, it's, it, this would be a wild thing for Tanner to have to, like, present to the higher-ups. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, okay, that leads to a question. Does Tanner have a boss? It kind of seems like, no, it kind of seems like she's just like, she's the sheriff here in Rosewood now. Like, I mean, originally she was like the state police or the high, she's like the state police. She's the highway patrol. She's the FBI. Like Tanner is all of it. Tanner is like the beginning and the end of the law in Rosewood at this time. She's like attorney general. She's secretary of state. Like, <laughs> Yeah, she does not seem to report to anyone. She she well, reports. It's, it's like I mean, the, the Hastings became FBI agents just by wearing those coats. So like, <laughs> I mean, it's really it's really a choose your own adventure in terms of law enforcement in this town. Yeah, Tanner Tanner reports to God himself. That is a lot. <laughs> apparently. Um. So Emily suddenly pushes through a door and 
the liars are outside. Like, it's kind of shocking to see them actually outside after they've been indoors virtually this whole episode. Um, they step out and it's sort of a like a big kind of hatch sort of door situation. Uh, they see that there is a giant fence around them and they consider climbing it before Spencer realizes that it is, in fact, an electric fence. Uh, some lights like um, like kind of stadium type lights come on and um, there's some outside speakers that start playing. Don't fence me in, which, you know, never accuse a of not having a sense of humor. Uh, the liars plus Mona all look around very nervously. There's a lot of like swirling camera work. We kind of focus on everyone's concerned faces. Uh, and then we pull out and we see that wherever the liars are it is very far from anything. They appear to be just in this plot of land in the middle of the woods. Uh, very like there's nothing around them, which this feels very lost to me. This feels like a scene right out of Lost, where it's like we've seen the we've seen them operating this whole episode, and we haven't known where they are. And really, for the first time in the series, you know, everything has been very uh, uh, Pennsylvania specific. Except, of course, how could we forget our time spent in New York? Uh, where's the beef, Sydney? Um, but here it's like we are definitively not anywhere we have been before. We are like somewhere far away. Yeah, we're somewhere far away. It's like a, it, like the trees like almost look just like a void. Like there's just yeah. nothing, there's nothing around. You get the sense of like, even if the liars somehow got over this fence, they're not near enough for any kind of help. Yeah. No one's going to hear them scream. And also the last things that we saw were just like the scenes of like Tanner and Officer Best Boy and the Hastings, like with flashing lights and police sirens and like aerial support. And there's none of that. Like you can't see any of that. Like, right. so you know that like wherever they are, they are like so far away. Yeah. Yeah. They are clearly, clearly like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end of season five. I mean, it ends right here. There's no like final a tag or anything. Like we are just, and we don't know, like we don't know. Um, we're left. Like we don't know how much damage happened inside the dollhouse. We don't know where a is. Um, we don't really, we don't really even totally understand how the liars got out. I mean, they somehow were able to get to the entrance, but like there's, it's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot up in the air. There's a lot up in the there air. There is. There yeah. is. And I actually, a thing that I really thought that we saw happen at the end of this episode, I thought we saw the door close so that they I, can't go back inside. But we don't. That that does not exist here. That's just us knowing what happens uh, when we get to Game on Dead Name. Yeah, I had really forgotten because the this episode and the episode that follows are so much a two-parter. Yeah. Uh, I had really forgotten how much happens in this episode versus the other one. When we got to about like the three quarter way mark, I was like, oh, wow. Th it, like they just it's really just like prom and then we're out of here, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I will say that I like about this episode um, is that I this is an episode where the liars get to be smart. And I feel like so often in these big um, like big reveal episodes uh, or big, you know, season finales, the liars are forced to be really dumb and really helpless. And I really like that the liars, even though it doesn't exactly go their way, that they like have a plan and they execute it and they work together. And um, 
you know, they're somewhat successful in that they do get into the vault at least and learn a bit more about that. And they do get outside and then, you know, um, the thing is, if they had even gotten over the fence, who knows, like they they probably would have like died in the woods at some point. So um, I do appreciate that the liars get to be intelligent in this episode. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I think that I think that, like you said, the writers uh, do have the liars themselves down. Like, it's a good episode yeah. of character work in terms of how they're reacting and what they're trying to do. And I love any episode where the liars work with Mona to this extent. Yes. Oh, I completely agree. I love that as well. I love that as well. Um. Yeah. I mean, this feels like a huge question, but like... What are your overall thoughts? What is it like to watch this episode in uh, September 2021? Oh, man. You know, it's difficult. Uh, it's really difficult because I still I still think that the dollhouse at the time that they did it was such a great innovation. And it's not something like the, when the dollhouse came along, it wasn't something we had ever seen before. Like it was like, yeah. It was really, it was risky and it was dark and it was like something that was going to like just permanently impact both the characters and the show. And later they really, I mean, the show tries to take back everything. So, of course, they try to like kind of walk back on, you know, what what the dollhouse actually was or how impactful it was for people or or how willing they are to forgive um, as a result of what they experienced there. But... I, I still think that the dollhouse stuff is just really interesting and is is really great. I love the way that all of the liars, because they're not really in control, because they are kind of being like pushed through their paces by A, they're all a little bit off balance. They're not wearing the clothes that they would have chosen. They're not doing the things that they would have selected. Like, you know, I, I think that that's just really a great through line. But man, it is hard to watch. It's hard to watch this episode knowing everything else that the show is going to do around Charlotte and around like that reveal. It's it's very difficult. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. I I completely agree. I think that um one of the things that I appreciate about the dollhouse and yeah, I agree that it is totally like so much of the, the reverberating trauma is walked back eventually, but it is one of the few traumatic things that happens to the liars where there actually is a little bit of time spent on them processing the trauma. This will of course not happen until next season, but they actually are impacted by it in a big way, at least for a little while there and get to sort of, talk about that and get to sort of process it, which is always something that I'm wishing the show, you know, gave more time for. Um, and I also think like, you know, the, we always love when they do identity work. I think there's so much interesting identity work here. I think that that will continue into the next episode. I think the stuff with Mona and Allison is just so fascinating. Um, I think this is also really like, fundamentally different character after this episode so it's sort of like this is like the last moment of a complicated Allison pretty much in this episode so it's sort of savoring that um but yeah it is just it is like watching this episode it almost did feel like um 
you know, be hearing that siren. It's like you can't hear anything else over the loud sound of the transphobia. And like, I want to acknowledge this as like a person who isn't trans. And like, my experience is, of course, going to be vastly different from somebody who is trans watching this episode. Um, and I, you know, certainly don't want to speak for anybody, but as, as like, it's just really hard to watch. It is really hard to watch. It is really hard to hear the way that they're speaking about this person. Um, it is really hard to know that like, they are like, as you, as you've been pointing out, like that they're clearly intentionally speaking about this person this way because they know it's a trans person like that in and of itself is such a, a, a baffling and irresponsible choice. Um, it's it's really they it seems that they are really doing whatever they can to like strip the humanity from this person. And I just find that so disgusting and heart like it's hard to get on board with anything in this episode because it's like, you know, it's it's like somebody's put a little bit of poison in your drink and it's like, well, it's 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 fill, it's making the whole drink, you know, <laughs> poisonous. <laughs> I poisoned both wines. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the thing about it that really is just even when I think about it now, it's just like I don't understand. Um, like with Spencer, when she says uh, it has a name instead of. A has a name or I know your name or like anything like that. I it, it's so similar. If there had just been a lost De Laurentiis and if we knew that the lost De Laurentiis was like Jessica's son, wouldn't that have been enough? Like we do get an entire half season of like, let's suspect every dude in Rosewood of being the lost De Laurentiis. Why isn't that enough? Why can't yeah. you just pick one, any one of the predators running around Rosewood and have them be A and have them be the lost dealer artist? But no, you want it like all they want to do is to be able to have this like final twist where they're like, ha ha ha, gotcha again. And it's like, did you have no other ideas? Did you have no other ideas of ways to make that happen? Come on. Yeah, yeah, it's it is really disgusting. I mean, they even bring in that dude who like looks like a cross between Jason and Ren. Do you remember oh, him? Oh yeah, and Rice. Him? Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah, I mean, they're just trolling the audience at that point. But like, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna stick with my I'm gonna stick with my Princess Bride metaphor, like. They are just so determined to have poisoned both wines and to be able to tell, like, you know what they're determined to be able to do is to look the audience in the eye, flash a wide grin at us and be like, we poisoned both wines, guys. Like, look what we did. Look what we did. We got away with it. Um, and it's, <laughs> we got away with it. Everybody's dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we killed everyone and nobody likes us anymore, but we did it. Um, yeah, it is really, it is, yeah, it is that thing of, like, why, like, why is this, you know, or the other side of it, like, I don't want A to be a woman, but, like, they also can just make A a, 
a cisgendered woman. Like, I don't know. Yes. Like, th- like, this whole episode, it could have been that the blocks in the playroom spell out Charlotte, you know? And the whole yeah. half season is about figuring out who is Charlotte. And, you know, like, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't get why it needed to be this. Like, like Charlotte is Melissa and the Hastings stole Jessica's baby. Like, you know, they're... There are a hundred more interesting things. I actually feel like if they had made Charlotte the lost De Laurentiis and Allison's sister and, like, not a trans woman, if, if Charlotte had been all of this and a cisgender woman, there are things about that that I would have liked. Um, yeah. Or if they would have had her be, like, an ally. Like, if they had had her be, like, on the liar's side, but her secret was that she was, like, a lost De Laurentiis, I would have been fine with that. And, like, let the liars chase down who the lost De Laurentiis is and then be like, oh, no, it's someone who is, who likes us. Like, what's, right. what's going on here? Like, have it, have it be the twins here. Have it be, like, Charlotte and the bad twin who is secretly ian or is secretly like whoever like right. there are just so many choices they could be making and all the ones that they make from this point forward in this plot line are just all going to be really rough to watch because they're lazy uh and they're harmful both or even something like charlotte is like jessica de Laurentis, and it's like a character you know like a character like that like a character that we have not you know, expected maybe like an older character or somebody, you know, like, I feel like there's just so many ways they could have done it. I also think like, it's important to point out that like this, you know, this is not uh, a new thing that I'm pointing out here, but like, there is such a long history of trans villains uh, in media. And like, I, I, this one that I'm specifically thinking of is um, Psycho, because Psycho is a story that PLL like pulls from heavily and like has had a lot of allusions to at different points. And I feel like there's this way in which PLL sort of like traffics in the film noir tropes sometimes. And it is almost like there is sort of this element of like, well, this is just a well-worn trope of this genre. Like you can't get mad at us. We're just doing we're just writing one of these stories. Like, this is how these stories go. And it's like, but no, but it's not the 1950s. But, like, we are trying to tell a story that is better. And I just think it's so um, interesting and tragic that, like, PLL started as a series where it was like, oh, my God, we're getting this lesbian teen. We're getting a lesbian teen on ABC Family. Like, this is a big deal. You know, Emily Fields was... And like Paige, you know, these were characters that were significant and were like the fact that Emily was for the first few seasons, like treated equally to her fellow liars and she was gay and they weren't freaked out about it. And like, you know, that Paige had this like complex coming out story and like they were doing something um cool and important and like quietly you know I don't know revolutionary that might be a little too big but like at a time when it wasn't like you turned on every show and every show was full of gay teens you know it was Uh, groundbreaking it was groundbreaking absolutely and I think was even like part of why ABC Family eventually became freeform because it was like it was a big deal for this sort of formerly conservative network to have a gay teen as a main character And the fact that, like, 
you know, cut to where we are now. And they are just so utterly failing uh, the LGBTQ community is just it's just so disappointing. It's just like such a such a a letdown from a show that like was really so beloved by queer fans. And like at, at a time, you know, there was the whole Boo Radley Van Cullen thing and all of that. Like there were so much queer love and support around this show and just like what a what a bitter slap in the face you know yeah I 100% agree with all that and part of it is like PLL it started out in one tv landscape and because of its existence because of Emily and Maya and because of Emily and Paige it changed that landscape quite a bit like it proved that you could have a queer co-lead of your show that they could be treated in a way that they weren't just the sidekick. Like they did a good job. And then the rest of television evolved because of what they started. And then PLL just stalled out. It didn't like continue on. It actually like regressed in a lot of ways by the time that it was done. So it's a weird, it's just a, a weird evolution on the part of the show and the queer community and its representation here. Yeah, it totally is. It totally is. And it also, I also think that there's um, some shared DNA with the L word in terms of uh, a show that is, you know, the queer experience is mostly centered around uh, queer cis women. And then when it comes to trans issues, just utterly failing in that representation because the character of Max. Max? Is that the character's name? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And anybody who is interested in hearing more about that, Drew Gregory has a fantastic interview on Autostraddles from a few months ago uh, with the actor who played Max. And it was, oh my gosh, it was a fantastic, fantastic article. Yes, I also am going to do, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to do another plug for Disclosure. Um, they go so deeply into the history of trans representation. I actually was, when I watched Disclosure, I was surprised that PLL did not get a mention. And, but then, I mean, it just makes it so clear, like, how many damaging examples of trans representation have existed on television. But uh, please go watch that movie. It is such a good film. It is such a an important overview of this issue, especially if, like, I sincerely hope that, you know, all of our listeners are uh, with us in the things that we're saying here. But if you if you, you know, have had the thought like, oh, what's the big deal? Like, it's just, you know, go watch Disclosure. Like it'll it it's it makes it. Yeah, it's an important film. Well, also, as like, I mean, as a person, as a person who grew up when Snuffleupagus was invisible, uh, for a long time, like it was not all that long ago that like gay people were always the bad guy in in yeah. a film, and like we still see like callbacks to that today. But like when like Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct is bisexual and she's like the evil ice pick axe murderess. Spoilers for Basic Instinct. Nobody's seen that. Um, <laughs> but like you know, it's it's like it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like this is totally. this is a part of our community. It's wrong to do this. Like, it, it's just wrong. It's it's wrong to go into these tropes, especially Marlene, the creator of their show, being a queer woman. Um, I, I feel like she really, like, abdicated her responsibility here. 
Yes. And I and I feel like that can be a thing that happens where like I like I feel like Ryan Murphy does this all the time where it's like using using a creator using queerness as a, a protective shield to be able to sort of. Um, I wonder if this storyline would have faced more criticism if Marlene was not a queer woman. Oh, yeah, I definitely, you know, I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, this it's like it's harmful and it's bad writing. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a one two punch. Um, so we co- we've come to the end of season five. Uh, we are gonna for 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 our own psyches, we are gonna take a little break from uh, before we jump into season six. We're going to um, explore some more delightful things like the indisputable indisputable queerness of Spencer Hastings, uh, maybe a few other bonusy things. Um, is there more that we want to say about season five, about this episode before we, we sign off for over the season? Uh, no, I mean, season five surprised me. There were a lot of things that I liked about it better yeah. than, uh, particularly the back half, that I liked better than I thought. Um, once again, it had like the, the Lyndon James, uh, you know, idea of like, I thought the trial was in like 99.9% of the episodes and then it totally wasn't. Um, and I always remember the dollhouse stuff. I always forget that this is the finale of season five. I always think that the dollhouse is just the start of season six, but you're, you're right. It's cause this is such a two-parter. They're so joined together. Um, but this is actually a fantastic season finale. It is. I mean, it's <laughs> it is and it isn't, right? It isn't for all the reasons we mentioned. Right. But it is in terms of like it's a great. It propels us where you're leaving the characters. Yeah. Yes, it is very the stakes. Compelling. The stakes. It's good stakes. Um, well, if you have any thoughts on this episode, on bonus content, on. Uh, anything at all, feel free to send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, this has been, I would say, this has been like a, a, a harder episode to record than some of our others, just content-wise. Possibly it has been a harder episode for you to listen to. So please take care of yourself. Do something kind for yourself. Um, and thank you for, thank you for listening along with us. Glad to have you. Till next time. Take care.